Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Take a dose of every day. How am I supposed to stay in a world built on empty ways and the lessons of our Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Rob Snowy. We are up to Series 2's Episode 47. This is an interview with Meredith McCord, who I met last year at iCast. Briefly got a chance to speak with her at Somerset this year. She was so busy, we decided, why just get her for a couple of minutes at Somerset? Let's do a full-blown podcast. This one goes a little over an hour. It's going to go super fast. Be sure to follow Meredith McCord on her Instagram and Facebook. She has some pretty crazy pictures of all these fish that she's been catching. So sit back, relax, hopefully enjoy your first podcast of the spring season of 2016. Let's take you down to Houston. We're going to talk with Meredith McCord. So where are you checking in with us right now? I'm in Houston, Texas, born and raised and back here living here. So pure Texas cowgirl boots. (laughs) You know, I was donning my cowboy boots on Wednesday night at the 
Houston Rodeo, one of the largest rodeos in the world, and uh, was there on behalf of CCA. Awesome. Yeah. Lots of fun. Checking out Jake Owen, a country performer. I had never seen him, but he was excellent, and it was a lot of fun. Good stuff. But no, you don't usually catch me in my cowboy boots. It's only if I'm riding horses or up at my ranch. But otherwise, um, I'm a city girl. All right. So being a city girl, how did you get into the fly fishing? Or how did you get into the outdoors? Well, so that that all is very much thanks to my dad and my grandparents. My dad is from Shreveport, Louisiana, um, but grew up on a lake outside of Shreveport. And in the early mid-50s, my grandfather said to his four boys, hey boys, do you guys want to, he was a wildcatter and hit oil and said, I've, I've made a couple of thousand, we can do one or two things. We can go to Europe for a couple week vacation or they are selling property in Canada, Lake of the Woods, and we can go up there and buy this island for about $8,000. An island for $8,000, Lake of the Woods. And the boys said, are there bears? And grandfather said, yes. And he said, they said, is there fishing? And he said, yes. And, well, we want to go there. So I grew up, along with my dad, going and summering on Lake of the Woods, Ontario, Canada, living in a small cabin, no AC, no heat. We stayed warm by blankets and stayed uh, sorry, stayed warm by blankets and fire and stayed, you know, cool by taking cold showers in the middle of the night, depending on what the weather was. But there was nothing to do but fish. And that sounds like heaven. It was. And, and no TVs. My parents did not believe in TVs. And so we would play games, read books on rainy days. And then um, on beautiful days or even those overcast, good musky days, we were out on the water. And that's how that's kind of where I got my start and uh, my dad had a rod in my hand and the early age of about one and a half, two, I would sit in his lap and um, we would jig in the boathouse. And for me, I have a brother and sister. It just stuck. It, it was like striking the perfect note on a, on a piano. It just, for me, it harmonized and um, I've never been the same since. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's a pretty good way to grow up. It is. It is. It was great. And then, you know, by the school year, we were here in Houston, so we, we grew up in the city during the week and on the weekends. My dad just said, I, I don't want you guys growing up in the city. I want you growing up in the countryside. So we would just motor out, and it was riding horses and bass fishing. And so that's kind of what our weekends look like. And I just so appreciate him for that because, again, no TVs. It was, you know, 50s music playing on the radio and um, rod in hand or um, taking long hikes and in the forest and stuff like that, building lean-tos. And so that's kind of really how I got introduced to the outside outside world and um, fishing and just the love of the great outdoors. That was, that was the answer I was looking for. <laughs> so I feel very fortunate in that, for sure. So other than your, your dad and your siblings and grandfather, um, who were your, your influences in the outdoors? If you, you didn't have TV, so you didn't grow up watching people on TV. That's right. So whereas, you know, a lot of these names that I'm very familiar with now, of course, um, just by, you know, being in the fishing industry, I never saw them growing up. I just didn't. So it was outside. I didn't have any influence outside my family. 
so it was solely my dad, my uncles, my grandfather, but my grandmother was a huge fisherman as well. So she would take me out, um, she would call me her little Indian squaw, and we'd go out in a little wooden canoe um, and just paddle around and fish, you know, all summer long, just the two of us. So it wasn't just grandfather and dad, it was my grandmother as well. My mom loves to fish, you know, right there with us. So it, it was always a family affair and doing shore lunches, and um, it was great. So when you're at all these fishing events and you meet people, I guess you're not as awestruck with some of the ones that we all grew up. Like first time I got to hang out with Flip Pallet at an event, which was mostly the Project Healing Waters two fly tournament last year. And I was telling him how I would get up hungover in high school <laughs> and and go watch his shows. And in college, my roommates and I were always up on Saturday mornings watching Walker's K and whatever other you know, fly fishing America, fly fishing the world and Mark Sosin's TV show. So we all grew up with that stuff. Um, and I have to say, yes, you know, it happened to me where I met a good contingency uh, of what we, we would call our legends um, through BTT. I got real involved in that about eight years ago, and that's Bone, um, Bonefish Tarpon Trust. And Chico Fernandez, Lefty Cray, Mark Sosin, Flip Pallet, I mean, all of those guys were there and sitting on panels. And, you know, I... Fishermen are fishermen, and I just, I, I didn't realize who they were, and, you know, I was a newbie, and so I was just excited to meet other people that love fishing like I love fishing, so, yeah, struck into conversations, and I saw a guy sitting by himself on that first day, and just, I was kind of by myself, so I went and plopped down next to him, and we started talking, and um, he asked me about me, and I, I said, well, tell me about Hugh, you know, he had told me his name's Mark Sosin, and I said, well, Mark, what do you do? And he kind of giggled to himself and um, starts being like, are you, are, you, are you being serious? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, oh, I'm the one that really kind of invented um, fishing TV. I was one of the first. And I said, oh, my gosh, well, tell me about it. Where have you been? What have you done? And so that was the way that that conversation went. And um, I think maybe hopefully it's refreshing for those guys. Um, but it was definitely educational for me, and I just go in with eyes wide open and just um, try to be the best sponge I can be and learn as much as I can from these guys that have been around the block and um, have forged the way. But before that, you know, that, that big event um, at the IGFA Museum for BTT eight years ago, I just didn't, I didn't know. I wasn't aware. Before I want to get into how you got it up to that level, um, when you're not fishing, you work in, I guess, the pottery industry. How would I say that? <laughs> so, yeah, so I am not in the fishing industry um, professionally. I would love to say I'm semi-professional, but that would that would allude to the fact that I make some money in the fishing industry and unfortunately do not. But, yes, no, about 18 years ago, um, and Rob, let me back up for a, just a little bit about the fly fishing it. kind of kind of detail of the whole thing because I did not grow up fly fishing. I grew up just conventional spin fishing for bass and, you know, jigging for, you know, cane pulling for catfish and um, casting for muskies. So um, fly fishing had not really been a part of my, my life until about 1992. And I'm going to be really honest here and I, I'm embarrassed to admit it, 
I wasn't going to ask. But I'm going to tell you, river runs through it. Yes, a river ruins it, whatever you want to call it. But yes, it. Uh, I did. I, I saw that movie um, prior to graduating from school and just said, that looks awesome. I love Robert Redford, grew up on The Sting, and he narrates that, that film, and it was just beautiful. And I said, I want to do that. I want to go, I want to go there, and I want to make, I, I, you know, I just, I'm an artist, so I want to do that. And um, so in 1992, I moved out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming with the, with the sole intent of perfecting fly casting. Little did I know that it's a lifelong sport like golf, and you'll never perfect it in a summer, um, let alone a couple of months. And so uh, it's been a lifelong venture. But that was what um, really got me started. And I, I hate that. I, I'm embarrassed by it. But it's the honest truth. It's it's silly as that. And um, was out there for a summer before I began working, as my dad would say, in the real world at a real job dressed in a suit and pantyhose, which are the worst in the world. I, I agree. <laughs> I know, Rob, right? You don't like wearing pantyhose either, huh? Only if I'm in Australia and I have to wear them <laughs> to keep the jellyfish away. Yeah, but that's, those aren't pantyhose. Those are tights. It's different. Pantyhose are even worse. They're worse. Yeah, that's how much I know. Yeah, very, very itchy. But um, so I, after Jackson Hole moved to Atlanta, uh, started working in commercial real estate development, had a great job out of college, but within a year knew that corporate America was not for me. I did not like wearing the pantyhose and I did not like working in a cold, dark office. So I got introduced to a concept and that concept is paint your own pottery studios where individuals go in and paint ceramics. The ceramics are already made. So it's not like ghost where Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze are like doing something romantic on the wheel. You're taking all the questions before I can. I know, them. I know. And there's no Unchained Melody playing in the background. But uh, I fell in love with this concept. Two of my coworkers were getting married and they invited me to the bridal shower where the guys all painted bowls and the girls all painted plates. But the bride and groom had picked out five colors that matched their kitchen. So at the end of the party, they had a set of dishes done by all their friends in the same five colors that all matched. It was the coolest idea ever. And I just, I was applying to go get my MBA at that time um, because I knew I wanted to get step out of corporate America. And what do you do when you don't know what to do? You go back to school. So that's what I was going to do. And when I saw this concept, I just started, and my wheels started turning. And I've always been a, a bit entrepreneurial. And that's when I said, hey, listen, this is, I think this is what I want to do. So I came back, told my parents, I said, Hey, I think I want to open up a paint your own pottery studio. And my dad, I could see like, you know, the steam coming out of his ears. And he's like, why did we pay for you to go to college? If all you want to do is paint pottery, he could not, he could not get it. You know, he, he grew up, you know, corporate America and real estate and oil and gas. And, you know, that was just, that was him. But the more passion, and I showed for this, this concept that I was learning about, the more he started to ease up on it. And then I finally said, Hey dad, I really think this is what I want to do. And when he saw the commitment and I wrote that business plan and went out and started raising the money to start my own business in 1998, he, he and mom came on full board and were great moral supporters. And I looked around the country of where I wanted to maybe open up, um, a, po a pottery studio. Uh -oh. Sorry. 
um, where I might want to hey, where I might want to open up a pottery studio and uh, Austin was saturated, San Diego is saturated, but Houston, Texas, my own hometown where I'd grown up, I had gone to boarding school on the East Coast and then gone to Vanderbilt and Nashville, Tennessee. So I hadn't been living back in Houston in about eight years. And um, but lo and behold, my parents said, well, why don't you just open one in Houston? And I had done real estate here during high school and college years during the summers. Um, and so I said, yeah, you know what? That's not a bad idea. So in 1998, I started the Mad Potter Paint Your Own Pottery Studios. In this April, I will have been in business for 18 years. Um, oh I have three different locations now. I did have five at one time and started franchising the concept. That did not go well. But um, my three studios do really well. And it, that's what supports me, pays the bills and pays the mortgage. And I have over the last couple of years gotten wonderful employees in place that kind of run it on a day to day basis so that I can go out and pursue this new passion of mine. Or it's not a new passion, but it's just, it's a revived passion that I kind of had set on hold for a couple of years as I was working day and night building my company up. So when people come in, they choose something off the wall, paint it, and then you put it in the kiln and then they come pick it up? You got it. So that's exactly what they do. We've got over like 500 different items to choose from, from dog bowls for your dog to um, bowl, cereal bowls, plates, picture frames. And they come in. I have about 60 colors to choose from. They pick the color and um, the design. We have stencils and stamps and stuff like that to help them. And then they paint. They leave it there for three or four days. While we fire it in our kilns, we've got two to three kilns at every one of the locations, and then it's ready for them. Their masterpiece is dishwasher safe and microwavable and all that stuff for the coffee mugs and um, ready for them to pick up. And it's just really cool. I sell wine and beer, so we get a lot of date night and corporations coming in for a happy hour, a team builder. Um, a lot of generations, you know, grandma bringing in newborn baby for footprints and handprints. It's just a blast. You have kids. Have you ever done anything like it? We have not. Well, it's really fun. Road trip. Road trip. And they're all throughout the U.S. My chain is just locally here in Houston. All right. You ever get creative and throw like a calzone in the kiln? <laughs> you know, you know, no, but I did have an employee years ago leave. A, they wanted to, quote unquote, heat up their pizza, their leftover pizza, and put it on top of the, um, the kiln. And I unfortunately did find it the next morning. And that pizza was a little bit blackened. That may have happened at our house after a party at the neighbors during the blizzard here. Oh, no. I may have burned a pizza. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It does happen. It does happen. Right. So, no one's ever made like venison jerky in there. No, no, no. But I, you know, it's not a dehydrator, but it is. Yeah, it is a kiln. But no, it's it's awesome. Okay. So let's get back into the, the fly fishing. So you, you grew up fishing, um, fast and stuff, went out west, came back. How did you start? I, don't know, I guess so I, I sort of have the outline we could follow. Um, wow, where, where should I yeah. go? So how did you get into like the international travel and fly fishing? Um, that would, again, be thanks to my dad. In 2005... Well, let me back up a little bit more. Starting in the mid-80s, my brother, sister, and I 
my parents had taken us skiing for spring breaks and you know, skiing just adds up. It's an expensive sport to take your kids on and real estate market was not doing great in Houston. And so, and I was freezing cold. Um, always the kid that was very cold on the mountain until they've started making this amazing, um, you know, cold weather clothing that's revolutionized my skiing days. But, um, anyway, so dad started looking around for a place that we could go as a family for spring break. And that place ended up being, he had three friends that had a lodge down on Ambergris K Belize. And while Belize to many people sounds like it's far away, Belize is only an hour and 50 minute flight from Houston. And he had these three Houston friends that own this place called Victoria house. And said, oh, Rick, you need to take your kiddos down there. We, we go down there every spring break. It's going to be a blast. And so we did. And that was in the mid-80s. And it was, at the time, very inexpensive. It was run very much like a, like a family resort where it was buffet-style dinners and lots of family members. And you just hang out on the beach and you'd fish and you'd bone fish. And that was the first time I got really kind of introduced to fishing saltwater. Even though I grew up 45 minutes from the coast and here in Houston, I had never gone fishing in the Gulf Coast. We just always were in bass ponds or um, up north. And so this was my first experience and I I just fell in love with it, but we were always doing it with a spinning rod, um, snapper and bonefish and such. So that's kind of what opened my eyes a little bit to the international travel and then where it really started taking off is when he, in 96, decided that we were going to buy down there. And so that's when I really started going more often and getting kind of more exposed to it. And then with that, that new skill I had learned in Jackson Hole, minus the double hull, that's something I definitely had to work on in the winds down in Belize. Uh, we started traveling down there and it was just amazing and started going after bonefish on the fly. And for me that it was a game changer. And I was like, this is incredible. So fast forward, I start my business, no time to fish. I mean, I'm working 24 seven and finally about, you know, seven years in dad said to me, dad said, Hey, listen, I've got, I've got a surprise for you. And that Christmas he had been contacted by some of his guy friends that they were going on a trip and that they had lost their 12th angler and that they needed to quickly fill in. Well, dad had thrown, unbeknownst to me, dad had thrown my name into the hat to this trip to the Seychelles Islands to a, a resort called Alphonse. And the guy said, oh, no, 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 no. This is a guy's trip. This has, this is not, this is not bring your daughter fishing trip. This is a guy's trip. And so dad let it lie. But a couple of weeks later, the guys called back and they're like, we can't find anybody. We've got to fill this 12th spot. Go ahead and bring your daughter. So for Christmas that year, dad says to me, I've got a surprise for you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm taking you to the Seychelles Islands. Well, I had never heard of the Seychelles. I had to pull out a map 
app, look at, look where we were going and, um, had never thrown anything over an eight weight. So had to start practicing on my, on my larger reels and rods, because I knew that we were going to be targeting larger fish than I had ever fished for before. Um, and that is the trip that opened my eyes to the variety that you can catch on the fly. Rob, something snapped in me on that trip that I've never been the same since. I mean, we caught triggerfish, emperor fish, parrotfish, bonefish, uh, GTs, bluefin trevallies. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I just couldn't get over all the different species that you could catch on the fly. And I would say that that was a trip that did me in for international travel and lit the fire in me that um, I've never been the same. <laughs> it's a pretty, awesome pretty awesome place to have done it. Very awesome place to have done it. I blame him. I said, Dad, you started me at the top. Um, you know, you ruined me because of this. Uh, but he was great. And so that was really special because those men from there on out adopted me into their group. So once a year... Um, 10 or 12 of that group and I would go on a trip and it was just amazing time to swim with my dad. It was just, he and I, and the two of us, we'd always be on the boat together with our guide. And it was just, it was just incredible. And it was amazing time to spend with my dad and good times. And we've been to, we went to Venezuela, Turks and Caicos. Um, I mean, we just, we kind of Christmas Island, we just, we went saltwater and we went, um, place to place and just got exposed to all these different fisheries. Do you have a favorite species to target? Do I have 15 different favorite species to target? Yes, I sure. do. <laughs> no, I, I do. I, you know, here in Texas and being so close to Louisiana, listen, redfish, I mean, that's your jam. That's my jam. The bull reds. Oh, there, I mean, there's nothing like orange floating pumpkins in a pond. I mean, I, I dream about them. I won't lie. I dream about them. The big white lips opening up to come up after my popper, there's nothing like it. So I'd say if I had to put them in order, it would be something like this. Redfish, tarpon, snook, triggerfish, GTs. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a little, bit, a little bit random. A little bit random. A lot of people are like, what, what, triggerfish? But I'm telling you, they're very technical, and I love the way that they tail. Man, when they're down on that bottom, on that ocean bottom, going after some coral or a little crab, their tail, sometimes half their body will be out of the water, um, waving at you across the flat. Just a happy eaten fish. It's a happy eaten fish, but it's t it's they have fish. If you're familiar with a sheephead, very similar. It's kind of like human like teeth, and so right. to actually land one is, I mean, I'm sorry, it's kind of right there with a permit. It's they're they're tricky little boogers. So it looks like saltwaters is your main your main preference for fly fishing. In Plus, it's golden dorado, um, peacock bass. <laughs> See, I tell you, I have I have favorites. I mean, I'm, yeah, That's no, awesome. I like everything. I like anything that has a good pull. But I mean, I'm not opposed to the small brookie and the tiny little stream on a zero weight either. So, I mean, I love it all. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> 
Um, um, let's see. Well, let's get into some of the questions, uh, like some more. Uh, so we met last year at ICAST in person, and you were there with the Able Women. That's correct. So let's hear all about the Able Women. Okay. Okay. If you can go through who they are, how the whole project came. So I, I was on Instagram last year, and I'm like, oh, Cammy Swingle, they're they live you know local, they're friends of ours. Cammy and Nick are headed to Belize, and then I see. Andrew Larco's going to Belize, and then so you're going to Belize, and then Rebecca Red's going to Belize. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> I was like, is there is there like a big fishing meeting going on? Girls trip, girls trip. <laughs> no, it was awesome. So you know, it's funny you say that that we you know we did meet at ICAST, and I think that's where this whole brainchild even came out of was ICAST two years ago, or I guess. Now, a year and a half ago, I um, was casting at one of the ponds, and the owner of Able Reels, Doug DeGruy, came up to me along with a, a man by the name of Art Webb. And they're like, who are you? And so <laughs> they're like, you know, we don't often see many women out here, and we don't see many women casting. And so we started chatting. He goes, why do you think we don't see many women here? And why are there not many women doing what you're doing. And that is kind of what started the conversation. And Art just got really passionate about it and said, I think we need to start some kind of women's initiative just to drive, motivate, inspire more women to get into this great sport. And I just, you know, we, we were all under the same impression if, if there was just, if more women were exposed to it, I think more women would be doing it. And I think it's just a question of exposure and, um, you know, just inspiring. And so we started putting together a list of people that would potentially maybe want to come on board with us. And today we have an amazing um, group of women that, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about our group of able women and what we're there to do is, to communicate to others how fly fishing has changed our lives, how it has um, inspired our, us in our own lives, how it's um, revolutionized some of our lives, and how for some it's even saved lives. And um, it's just, it's, it has a lot of, we think, you know, physical benefits, emotional benefits, but um, the group of eight or nine of us that we have, that, that solid kind of founding member group. It's just neat because we're from Canada down to Belize, East coast to West coast, 25 to, I don't know, 55 years old. We run the gauntlet. We've got newbies that have just picked up fly fishing in the last couple of years to, um, you know, Diana and Lorianne who have been fly fishing for over 20, 30 years. So we've got, it's just an amazing, um, variety um, of women. And let me kind of go through who, who makes up this, a wonderful group of able women. Um, first is Rebecca red, and I'm going to start kind of from the North down and work my way South. But Rebecca red is an incredible woman. Um, she has a fly fishing show up there in Canada. It's very well spoken, um, has been through a loss, lost her brother tragically years ago. And her brother is the one that taught her to fly fish. And so um, she picked it back up kind of um, 
um, in memory of him and does it to honor him. And is just a really neat woman and has traveled all over, um, really kind of the globe as well, seeking out cool destinations and educating more on fly fishing. Um, from her, we've got um, Diana Rudolph, and Diana is an incredible woman who has huge, huge resume. Huge resume. I mean, and um, she is. I mean, I kind of idolize her as the tarpon go-to woman. I mean, she just she has a world record tarpon. She has permit bonefish. She grew up uh, fishing with her dad in the Keys, and um, has you know her her boyfriend and partner is Jerry over at Sage who develops all the Sage rods. I mean, she herself is a rod builder and just, she's incredible, has won tarpon tournaments against all men. She just, she is hardcore and very, very fishy. Uh, Super tall. She's tall? Yeah. No, she's not tall. Did I cast? She was like, I mean, I was wearing boots. No, no, no. You're thinking of Lorianne Murphy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, Diana's like 5'3", maybe? 5'4"? <laughs> okay, yeah, I was thinking of Lorianne. Yeah, and so, okay, so we'll, let's skip down to Lorianne because she's down to the least. But Lorianne is, um, talk about fishy. I mean, she's amazing. She is really tall. And um, Lorianne and I have been actually friends. I've known her longer than everybody else in the group. But Lorianne... Um, is has real women where she takes and she has a passion for women and teaching women and guiding women. She's been a guide, um, in the, in the West for a long time and then ended up working for El Pescador for a number of years down on Ambergris key. That's where we met years and years ago. And now she has her own guide service down there. Again, focused mainly to teaching and hosting and, um, guiding women. And she's just really fishy herself and, it was really fun. We did a show together called Buccaneers and Bones with Tom Brokaw and Huey Lewis and filmed it down at El Pescador. And she was a part of that and just um, just a great, great gal. And um, then we've got Andrea Larco, who is incredible. She has not been fishing as long as um, Diana or, um, or L.A., but she is super fishy herself. She lives up in Pennsylvania and is an incredible artist and pretty well known in our industry as so many different companies have picked up her artwork. Able Reels Sims has her on a number of shirts and hats. It's just, she's really incredible and has done a great job. Um, yeah, just getting herself out there. And th it was really fun being down in Belize with her because this was her first saltwater experience and her first bonefish. And she picked up the double haul very quickly. And um, it was just fun to see her light up. Uh, upon catching her first bonefish. Um, Cammie Swingle is Two-Fisted Heart Productions with her husband, Nick. Cammie is just incredible. She and Nick have won um, many awards. The, you know, the first time I heard of them was at the Drake Awards when they had entered in Blood Knot and won that uh, award. And it's just an incredible film. They have a lot of heart behind their films. It's uh, not just fish porn, um, but it's it's definitely always something with a great message behind it. And They're, they're, they're hosting a uh, cocktail hour thing tomorrow at a bar called Rustico. Oh, nice. Awesome. Try, try and get over there. Oh, yeah. very 
Cool. Well, it's just been a pleasure. Uh, it's been really fun since then. We, Nick, Cammy, and I have gotten to film some stuff together, and we just got back from Guatemala about three weeks ago. So I'm excited to see how that turned out. But uh, again, Cammy's incredible and just has such an eye um, for film work and for photography, and also just has a love. And it's fun too because she's kind of newer into the sport. And she got brought into it by her boyfriend. And so it's just fun amongst, you know, this group of women to see the different influences and who brought them into the sports, whether it's boyfriend, now Nick's her husband, but, um, or if it's dad or who, you know, brother in Rebecca's case, but it, it does, it always kind of trends back. You look kind of to it's men that have brought women into the sport. And so I think that that's a big, uh, kind of just, hopefully it opens up a lot of these guys eyes out there to say, huh, I never thought about bringing my daughter or my girlfriend out or my wife. And, um, you know, it doesn't stick with everyone. My dad, you know, took my brother, sister and I, and out of my sister, brother and I, I it stuck with me more than it stuck with them. But, you know, um, you just, but you got to expose them and then it will all come into play. And then from Cammy, let me talk about um, Kim Smith. Gosh, Cap- yeah, I was so excited to see Kim uh, included in that. She is, uh, she's hilarious. She is hilarious, and I have to say, like upon arrival, so we're both on this little puddle jumper down to, um, you know, from Belize City out to the island, and you know, I recognized her. She looked real fishy right away. I didn't know what she looked like before, but she had on a TFO. Um, advice for everything yeah, so. and it had like a fly sticking out of it. So I'm like, Oh, she must be part of our able women group. So I went up to her. I'm like, you must be Kim. And she said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And she's very, yes, ma'am. Because she was a Marine. And, um, I mean, and then the profanity comes out and you're like, wait, what is what? I know. Well, no, but it was very shy to come out and we know, but we get on this plane and she goes, um, ma'am, I need to, t- tell you, ma'am, that this is the first time I am traveling, um, not armed. And I'm like, um, okay, wait back up here now. What? And she's like, ma'am, I am not caring. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? And so it was just awesome. And, um, she, I mean, and I was like, okay, is she kidding? Is she serious? And she's like, no, this is truly the first time she had ever traveled outside of the U S without, serving our country. And it was just, it was so eye opening. And her story is incredible. She has served, um, I believe on three different tours. And, um, unfortunately on one of her tours, you know, uh, came in contact with some landmines and, um, and it messed her up and lo and behold, um, healing waters and their fly tying, group pulled her in and I mean, she'll, she tells the story much better than I can do it, but it it changed her life. And through fly tying, even just with one arm, having her, her buddy sitting right next to her, helping her tie her first fly. So she does have two arms. If you're listening, she she lost the left side of her body's functions after having a stroke Yes, and do the tying and casting. She's you would honestly never know. No, not today. Not today. Where she is today is incredible. Um, and how far she's come. And she gives a lot of that credit to healing waters and to fly tying. And she's interesting because she got into fly fishing through fly tying. 
she tied flies before she ever held a rod, which I think is super cool. Um, so she came into it a totally different way and she's one of my favorite people in the entire world. And then we've also got, um, Jessica Callahan, also part of healing waters. Jessica, unfortunately in a training operation fell out of a helicopter and has undergone numerous, numerous surgeries. Um, every day deals with a level of pain that I think would bring most grown men to their knees. She has some kind of thing in her back that biceps or intercepts the nerves sending pain messages to her brain to try to deal with the pain. What that girl has undergone, I mean, again, it's just, it's a miracle. And she says that fly fishing is what has brought her out of depression and um, to the woman that she is today, which is just incredible. And so she's new to the sport, but she just clings to it as it's her happy place. And it's one place that she can go once she hits that water and just be happy and forget about the pain that she is constantly babbling. So as you can see, we've got a amazing and dynamic group of, of women. And that was, that was the group that was in Belize. And it, again, it was just so fun. Jessica's first time, Kim's first time, Andrea's first time to ever go after uh, bonefish and saltwater species and, we just had a ball and yeah, can't say enough good things about it. And then it was all filmed into a short, maybe not even two minute long video. That's correct. That's our trailer. I mean, we got enough to make a full feature film, but um, at this point don't have the sponsorship to truly make that happen at this point. But it, that, that film would detail out kind of the stories and how fly fishing has changed our lives and how it's impacted us. Mm -hmm. all each as individuals. And then we also have another, um, member, Kate, Kate, um, works for Ross reels and she kind of coordinates and heads up the able women and kind of, uh, is the contact for anybody wanting to get involved. She handles all of that and helps us on a daily basis just to kind of lead the charge along with art web. I believe she's the one that I mistakenly called you at Somerset. Oh, might have, might have. Blonde. Yep, she's blonde. Yeah, yeah. yeah I kind of mistook her for a second. <laughs> That's okay. That's. I was like, "Hey, Meredith," and she was like, "Apparently, it's, it happened all weekend." Oh no! <laughs> she's like, "I'm not Meredith." Well, you know, blondes all we all kind of look alike. So. And y'all, cowboy boots, cowgirl boots, cowboy boots. Yes, and actually, I take that as a huge compliment because she's probably 15 years younger than me. So, hey. <laughs> So that would make her like 16? Yes, yes. That would make her 16. Exactly. How'd you know? How'd you know? You're 29. That's I right. saw a cake picture somewhere. <laughs> so, no, that's, it's, it's a great group. And, you know, I, I just, it, I, I can't say enough. And it's just an honor to be able to kind of serve this mission and this initiative along with such great women. Are there future plans or are you waiting to get? sponsors and funding. Yeah, we're really waiting to get sponsors and funding. We have definitely a couple of things in the works right now, but, uh, the exposure, like we got this past weekend at legends on the fly, uh, Corey Ruth, a very famous, um, kayaker fly fisherman. He wrote the book on it. They, he wrote the book on it. And I think it's coming out with a second book here. And then, uh, John fall, I'll put on something in Virginia beach called legends of the fly. And this year they were very, Sweet and honored us, and it was just an incredible turnout. We had 
couple of hundred people and did a casting demonstration. We taught uh, the able women. We all broke up and taught individuals how to cast and worked on their double hauls and different things that they wanted to tweak. And, you know, I think we had about 60 people out there casting, which is pretty incredible. So what can you break down? What is Legends of the Fly? And to show you how much notoriety it was getting, the woman whose Airbnb I stayed at at the Lancaster show texted me to ask if I was going to be going down there because I lived in Virginia. And I was like, how did you hear about Legends? I mean, she's not into that. You know, she fishes a little bit, but she heard about it. You know, it's Rob, as you know, social media, it's amazing. So John and Corey just did a great job just getting the word out there and um, on social media. It's really through Facebook and Instagram that they were giving shout outs. And because I think probably it's probably having to deal with uh, Andrea being up in Pennsylvania. That's probably how that woman heard about it because we were all posting um, our thoughts and our excitement for the weekend and our pictures throughout the weekend. So maybe that's how it happened. But, I mean, I love social media in that way. The way that it connects is incredible. Mm-hmm. So what, what were the events that went on? And who are the legends? Um, you know what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who past legends are. I know that they're honoring Andy Mill uh, next year. But this okay. year, the, the able women that showed up uh, that were able to make it were um, Kim Smith, Captain Kim Smith, Jessica Callahan, Rebecca Red, Cami Swingle, and uh, myself. Those are all legends in my book. Oh, you're sweet. It, it was great. It was a lot of fun. And um, watching the FT3 films, and yeah, great times. I'm going to miss that this year. We're going to be in Asheville next week. Oh no! Yeah, so no film tour for me. Oh man, it's it's you've got to catch it though if you haven't already. There's some amazing films in it, and um. It will make you want to go home and start booking flights and finding out how to get to where these fish live. And Rebecca's been going around to the shows, sort of following yeah. it to some of the larger venues. She was. She was on a – I mean, by the time I saw her, she was feeling terrible, coming down with the flu. She had been on the road for, I think, 32 days. She had not slept in her own bed. So she was feeling a little worn out and, unfortunately, like I said, wasn't – feeling a hundred percent her best, but, um, she is now back home and back home. Um, I think resting up before she gets on the road again, but yeah, kudos to her. I don't know if I could do that. A different venue every night. Woo. Yeah. That's a lot of bar food. That's a lot of bar food. That is right. And a lot of alcohol. Yeah. All right. Well, so you mentioned earlier, um, world records. Let's get into this this pursuit of IGFA world records. How did that start? And um, if people aren't following you on Instagram, there's some pretty ridiculous fish. There's some interesting species. I'll tell you that. So here's the long and short of it. It's, a, it's an interesting journey. We got time. Okay. We can do the, the medium. All right. All right. So here we go. This is This is what happened. Um, gosh, I can't even remember what year it must have been. It must have been in 2011. I got invited to go to the Bahamas. And the guy that owns Deepwater K is a Houstonian and invited four of us to go. 
And as we're landing on Deepwater K, Paul, the owner, says, I have a surprise for you that we are, it's private this week. There's only like, I think there was seven other people there on the island. And he said, we are filming Buccaneers and Bones this week on the island. And Liam Neeson has just landed right in front of us. Well, I had heard Liam Neeson's name, but I, I wasn't real familiar with him. Um, again, I don't, I don't really watch TV and um, don't watch scary movies. And I think he does a good number of scary movies. So we land and we get off and um, Liam, you know, his plane, we're all standing around waiting for customs to check us in. And Liam eyes me. Um, he, he is a ladies man a little bit. I don't think it would have mattered if I was 80 or 15. I think Liam is really sweet, sweet on ladies. So he came up to me and he said, tell me you're not here to fly fish. I said, well, yes. Why else would I be here? Absolutely. I'm here for the big bone fish and I'm really excited. And so, uh, we ended up becoming really good friends. And in that time, um, over that course of that week, I realized that Liam has a lot of experience on freshwater, but hadn't done saltwater too much. And so really needs some help with his double haul. So every afternoon after he'd get finished with filming, he and I would do a little casting lesson. And bottom line, the producers of the show saw me giving casting lessons and said, hey, Meredith, um, have you ever thought about doing TV work? And I was like, gosh, no, no. But let me ask you a question. Would it underwrite me fishing somewhere? And they said, absolutely. I mean, yes, absolutely. And I said, well, if that's the case, and because I'm making pennies for pottery and having to find ways to finance these trips, you know, I would definitely be interested in TV. And they said, well, who are you? And I said, well, my name's Meredith. I'm Meredith. I'm Meredith. I'm Meredith McCord. I'm from Houston, Texas. I own a pottery shop. And they're like, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. You know, you've got to be someone to be on TV. And I was like, oh, well, that's okay. Well, my dad thinks I'm special, but okay. And so uh, he's, you know, the producers worked with me and we did a screen test and they said you know we really want you to kind of visit with a couple of people in the industry and figure out how you might be able to get more involved and Paul was sitting on the board at BTT at the time and he overheard some of these conversations going on over the course of the week and he said you know that's really one place to get started is you're going to really meet some amazing people the symposium is happening in a couple of weeks and I really think you should be there um, because you do love fly fishing and you, you know, you, you're passionate about it and you should really connect with other people that are passionate outside of your dad and your family and your dad's friends. So that's when I started getting involved with BTT. So from there to the world records, uh, I started thinking about ways that would hone in my skills and make me a better angler and I had been fishing with a couple of guys who said, have you ever thought about doing world records? There's not a lot of women out there doing it, but they had fished a couple of men that were going after IGFA uh, records. And they knew that they had the fish in the area and they were looking for the female angler to go and actually catch that fish. And that particular fish is a redfish. And so I said, well, gosh, you know, maybe if I had a world record, you know, maybe that would make me a little bit more legitimate because... It's, I guess it's not enough to just be passionate about a sport. You've got to create a name. And um, 
So that's when I started going um, and seeking out my first world record. And that was in the fall of 2012. So I think I had the dates wrong. I think that that trip to Bahamas and then over to, I'll have to look at that. The symposium must have been 2012, I think. So I fished with a number of guides, and I'm not going to say names, um, but I can tell you real quickly that looking for records is not for every guide. <laughs> Some of them take it very, very seriously, and if you miss a fish, they get really upset, and there's lots of pouting and cussing and so forth going on, and I, it's not for everyone. You've got to have a fortified, very patient um, demeanor about yourself if you're going to be looking for world records on class tippet because you're going to lose fish. You just are. Um, doing light tippet, you're going to lose fish. And so I went and fished with probably about three or four different guides in Louisiana looking for this particular world record. And finally, I was about to give up. I mean, I just, I had gone and spent money because it's very expensive to do, you know, to do this. And Luckily, had gotten some underwriting by doing some photo stuff, but really, I was at my wit's end, and on my 11th day, I said, you know what? This is my last day down here. If I don't get it, this is, this is all I can do. I'm not doing it anymore. And at 2 p.m. on December 1st in 2012, we spotted her, and Captain Christian Jurgens knew it was, it was her, quote-unquote her, from the moment we saw her, probably at 100 feet away. She was huge. Her back was out of the water. She was going on top of the sand. And it, she, was, she was enormous. And we knew that this was the fish that we had been looking for. And it was, I had a 7 o'clock p.m. flight to catch that night. And I made the cast. And man, everything, the stars aligned. And I got her. And that was my first world record clutch catch right before I needed to race off to the airport to go catch my flight back to Houston. But that was what started the fire. And, um, it, it was just, it was incredible. And in, in the high and knowing that I had put in 11 full days of trying to find this one particular fish and I had lost about three that we know were, were record fish. And, you know, it just, it really took a lot to kind of figure out how to Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline how to do it. You got to have a net. A lot of guys didn't want to have a net. They claim that they had professional baseball grips and, you know, I don't, I don't want to go further on that one, but, uh, but, uh, anyway, my dad got so tickled over that record that for Christmas that year, he had a rod built for me that has all the specifics of it. Venice, Louisiana, the date, the weight of that redfish, the line class, the captain and so forth. And, um, it was just, it was cool. And he just got really excited about it. And, and um, that spring we went on our annual trip and he said, I think you should chase records and I'll, I'll be your quote unquote assistant. 
And he just got really excited. And so that spring trip to the Seychelles, I landed two more world records, one an all tackle record, which is an island trevally, and one was a bluefin trevally on 16. And uh, and actually that island trevally was with Yako Lucas, a very, very talented filmmaker and guide who's been all throughout the Drake and he's worked with R.A. Beatty and he's um, with Captain Jack Films and he has two films in the FT3 right now with Off the Grid with R.A. and um, very, very talented. But anyway, he's, a, he's an incredible guide as well and guided me to that island Trevally. So again, dad got tickled and, um, and was really much encouraging my pursuit of these world records. And then when he got diagnosed with cancer um, about a year and a half later, um, things changed and um, he no longer could go with me on my trips. And so one of the ways that I wanted to entertain him was going on these trips and bringing back stories of lost fish and record fish. And when we knew he was terminal, I just said, I'm going to catch you a hundred world records and uh, wanted to do it before he passed and it, it didn't happen. And then, so I'm still kind of on that mission. I'm at 92 um, and I've got eight more to go. And it's, it's been a joy. There's been tears. There's been frustration. There's been um, lots of laughter, lots of high fives um, along the way. And it's just been, it's been an amazing adventure to say the least. And I hope just to do it to honor my father. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Well, um, Sorry if I got a little emotional. And- no, people don't usually open up like that on a podcast. So, <laughs> so that was nice. He just passed um, in October of this year. Sorry to hear that. Well, thank you. But I, th- I think he, he, he would be amused. He would be amused. And, and Rob, I've gone for some weird species because I don't have um, much of a budget. Um, you know, again, I, I make... Um, pennies for pottery. So I've got to kind of keep it local and um, work with different guides who will work with me on pricing, who also think it would be fun to kind of do something different um, and chase world records and hone in on their skills and hone in on their fisheries and the big fish. And, um, and so, you know, one of my best partners on this has been Captain Kirk Kirkland and has led me to over 60 of those world records and he's right here about an hour outside of Houston. And that's made it really doable for me. And we've caught some of the weirdest species you'll ever see. I want to hear them. <laughs> What's some weird stuff? Okay, okay. Well, it's called a freshwater drum, also a.k.a. a Gaspergoo. Um, we have caught blue catfish, channel catfish, smallmouth drum, I mean smallmouth buffalo, carp, common carp. Uh, spotted gar, long nose gar, short nose gar, alligator gar, white bass, striped bass, yellow bass. <laughs> Do you want me to keep going? Absolutely. <laughs> this sounds like me answering the question. So we have the tidal basin in DC, and people are like, "What's in there?" And large, large mouth bass, small mouth bass, striped bass, yellow perch, white perch, hickory shad, gizzard shad. And I, I just, I'll name like twenty-five species. Exactly. And I'm like, "Is that what you wanted me to say?" And they're like, uh, "Okay." Yes. Yeah. So, and the, the incredible thing is, they're out of all out of one system, like the Trinity River. I mean, it's crazy. That's crazy. It is yeah. Crazy. But I love it. Are you are you familiar with the blob fish? No, I don't know the blob. 
you probably can't catch it, but it looks like a person. What? So the Saturday Night Live last week with Ariana Grande, they had a bit where Kate McKinnon, it was mermaids. So you have like, um, what's her name I just said? The host. Uh, Ariana Grande is dressed up as a mermaid, someone else. And then you have Kate McKinnon as this just like bald, slimy. <laughs> and, and they're supposed to be like, you know, have sex with these sailors. And this guy's like, no, no, please, like, throw her back. <laughs> no, not that mermaid. No, thank you. It was pretty funny. I've never yeah, heard so... of the blobfish. Are you sure it's not an urban legend? Oh, no, it's real. It's been voted the world's ugliest fish. Okay, I think I'm going to have to Google that. Yeah. That's heinous. Can you catch them, really? I don't think so. I think they live really deep down. Yeah. And they're blobby because they're used to living in that high-density water, all that air pre- or you know, water pressure on them. That's gross. So what about fly? So let's the whole process. You've got to have IGFA tippet yeah. leader stuff. Yeah. You need to have some kind of IGFA verified scale system. You do. You do. Uh-huh. What about flies? Do you have like a go-to fly for these fish or is it you just want them to eat whatever? No. So I'm always looking, you know, and I've partnered with Umkla and Enrico and I mean for the musky Blaine chocolate put me on it put me with the right fly so I'm really particular like you know when you're going for the biggest of a species you've got to you've got to have the right fly I mean bottom line if you're going to finally get to to interact with that huge fish you've got to you've got to be prepared and have the right thing so that's why fishing with the right guide um is important because they know what they're eating and they know what fly is going to work so you find that these big fish have a different appetite or they'll just, you know, it's more of just the well-placed fly. It's the well-placed fly and the right fly and the right movement of that fly. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think about that. I don't think do that you they tie can... your flies or do you have the, the guide provide them? I bring a lot of flies with me just because of, um, I, you know, a lot of the salt water, you need to bring your own fresh water. A lot of my guides will have it. Kirk Kirkland, who's put me on so many of my records, he's not a fly guide. So I'm having kind of to pave my own way there. He's, um, guided a couple of fly anglers, but his main kind of go-to is alligator gar on, um, chunks of meat on conventional tackles. So Chunks of meat. Yeah, chunks of meat. Yeah, <laughs> just like an alligator. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm having to figure a lot of that out and do some research. And I'll tell you again, social media is beautiful for that. You know, when I was starting to look at the, to go after the alligator gar and was trying to tie up some flies for that, um, there's a couple of forums on Facebook and stuff about gar flies and some guys out there that, you know, are kind of deep in Louisiana and Texas and know what they were eating. So, um, you know, consulting and collaborating with different individuals like that. And, um, yeah, it's great. It's great. And then, you know, I was going down to the Everglades a couple of weekends ago and, um, Enrique, uh, gave me a couple of flies cause he knows, you know, he knows those, those snooks so well in the trout. So we, we dominated, we got Christian Jurgens and Brian Esposito put me on a couple of world records down there the other day. And it was thanks to Enrico's um, wonderful flies. He almost stayed with me at the Airbnb. Oh, no way. He's Yeah, someone was texting me. I wasn't sure who it was, but they're like, we're not sure if Enrico has a room tonight. 
Uh, do you have room for more? I was like, the more the merrier. <laughs> We've got plenty of beer. We got this 200 year old building. That's awesome. Just, just chilling. Yeah. He's a great guy and very, very amusing. And a lot of people don't know this. He's an incredible cook. He's a chef. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I do that's think. That's his I trained think, background. So we can cook his food in your kiln. That's right. Well, no, no, no. Stay out of my kiln. All Stay right. out of my kiln. Um, but yeah, no, I think, well, we could all get together and go fishing together. He could be our cook. How's that? I like that. I like that too. I like it too. So. So would. These flies that you've caught your world records on, do you have like a, a room or a wall in your house with like the fly that you caught that fish on with a picture of the fish? Oh, yeah. See, you don't know about this. Okay. This does upset a good number of people, especially people like Blaine that put in maybe an hour, hour and a half behind each fly. Unfortunately, Rob, <laughs> you turn in that fly and <laughs> IGFA forever has it. It is in their vault. So when you um, catch a world record, and I will be leading a um, presentation on this at the Fly Show in Denver and Somerset next year, how to catch records, how to record them, and how to submit them. So for anybody interested in learning a little bit about that, come come check it out next year. But um, so when you catch a record fish, you have to document it with so many pictures. The beautiful thing about it, it, it is catch and release for me. That's I always try to release my fish unless my guide is super hungry and needs something to eat for that evening. But otherwise, it is a catch and release for me. So after I quickly document the weight um, and the girth and the two links of the fish it, and myself with the fish with my rod and reel, it's released back in. And um, But then you take your entire leader – so all of your leader, and they used to make you even submit a couple inches of your fly line. They're not doing that anymore because fly lines are so darn expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you take your whole leader, and you have to submit the leader with the fly still attached. You cannot cut the leader in any place. So you have to make that perfection loop or whatever kind of loop you made as your connecting loop large enough so that your fly can come back through it so you can take off your leader without. And so I put that all in a baggie with um, – the kind of my notes and then all of my photos and then the application. And I send that all to the IGFA. So that's down in Florida. That's down in Florida. That's over in Dania beach yeah, at the IGFA. We used to, we used to drive past that when I was a kid. There's like the giant great white shark stuffed outside. It's very cool. And you go in there and they have all these mounts of all these different species hanging from the ceiling and then if you look down, you get to see a plaque of what that fish is. It's great for kids. I'll tell you, it's really cool. And now they use it, I think, primarily just for events. Like the Hall of Fish. The Hall of Fish fame. Yeah. Some crazy stories from traveling. Have you ever been stranded somewhere, bit by some crazy creature, had to eat something that Andrew Zimmern would turn away? You don't, do you know who Andrew Zimmern is? No, I don't. Yeah, bizarre foods like eyeballs. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And wieners are his like favorite. Oh. But then he won't eat spam. <laughs> but he'll eat a wiener? Oh, he'll eat like pickled muskox wieners. Well, let's talk about that. That's, yeah. Anyway, we could go there, but we don't need to. Um, so, no, I have never eaten anything too crazy in all my travels. And, um, And I do want to say this, like we haven't really talked about too much, but one of the ways that I get to travel, you know, I no longer am traveling with my dad, of course, and that ended, you know, a couple years ago uh, when he started undergoing chemotherapy. But um, 
one of the ways that I do um, financially support my addiction is hosting trips. And I do that for Tailwaters Travel. And they're a great fly shop out of um, Dallas, Texas. So they're right here in my home state. And they have chosen some of the best of the best lodges across the globe to take and send people to. And so one of the things that I do to kind of underwrite those trips, and anybody can really do this, is if by filling up a full week of anglers, um, often that host or hostess can go um, for free and stay at the lodge. Now, it doesn't include all your, you know, your travel expenses, but um, it does it does cover your costs at the lodge. And I think a lot more guides are coming to pick up on this. And I think it's very it's great because it's also helping out the lodges and it's helping them to keep full. But it's also helping those guides to be able to travel a little bit and get outside of their their day to day fishery. So that's kind of what I'm doing. And it, it's just a ball. And I've um, taken groups to Cuba four times, Argentina, Mexico, um, Let's see, Seychelles, I'm going back for my second trip. Speaking of which, I have one spot left available, April 29th through May 8th. We're going to Alphonse Island. Amazing fishery. Again, that was the fishery that changed my life in 2005. Um, And we're talking, you can catch 40 bonefish in a day. One day, I was, um, I caught, I doubled up with my client. We each caught a sailfish in the morning. And then that afternoon, each caught 20 bonefish. Bonefish, and there's very few places in the world where you can billfish by morning, bonefish by afternoon. And this is billfish. Tell me, tell me the story about you in the water with a sailfish, because that just looks dangerous. (laughs) Well, Guatemala is uh, unique in that uh, it doesn't have a a ton of sharks. So I definitely asked around about it. Don't jump in the water with your sailfish in Seychelles. I was more concerned about getting impaled. You know, I didn't even think about sharks. You know. When you hook into a sailfish, those guys do so much acrobatic workouts that they they tire themselves out. So by the time that you've landed that fish, he's not green. I mean, he he needs a little resuscitation. So on occasion, Rob, I like to get in and not give mouth to mouth, but to help that fish swim back off and to make sure that he is good to go. And so often that means getting in the water with them. I like to do that. I think it's a beautiful, amazing creature. And, um, just to be able to be side by side with something like that. I'm a diver. So anytime I have the opportunity to be in the water with a fish, I, I love it. Um, just, just don't do that up here. Okay. Promise. You probably don't want to get in the water here. Well, you wouldn't be able to see the fish anyway. The water's brown. It's brown. Yeah. Yeah. I like clear water where I can see what's coming at me. Uh, yeah, not here. Yeah, yeah. You you don't know what you have here until you land it. Last summer, we were fishing for gar, and this giant like two and a half foot blue cat came off the bottom and picked up the fly. We ended up landing this massive blue all catfish. Why blue catfish on fly? It'll be all the time. Oh my gosh! What did it weigh? Nine pounds, but it was pooping all over my boat. So it was it was like the my- digital scale was dropping yeah. in numbers. <laughs> yeah, no, I've I've been there. I've been there for sure. Um, that's amazing. What fly did it eat? That's what I call my gar clouser. It's, uh, like a size one saltwater hook, number 10 bead chain. Okay. And then, um, I used to use widow's web, but now I think it's like kinky fiber or something. Okay. And And it just gets caught in their teeth. But like I said, there's other fish down there. So 
That's why there's a hook on the fly, not just like a rope fly. Right, 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 right. Sure, Other fish sure. would pick it up. Well, and to be honest, too, if you're doing any kind of IGFA, you have to have a hook on that fly, and it has to be legitimately hooked. It cannot be kind of uh, like, you know, tying a nylon rope frayed fly with no hook on it. You've got to have the full thing. But um, that's so interesting. So do you have a trailer hook on yours, a stinger? No, it's just like a clouser, but instead of bucktail, it's made with this fibrous material. Yeah. Kind of like an Afro wig. <laughs> yes. Not a Jufro, but like Afro. Yeah, yeah I could have. Like the party store. Yeah, yeah, sure. Actually, you know, it's interesting. My last world record. So in 2012, I caught that world record red. Well, several women after that beat me out. And so this past winter, I went out to reclaim that record. And luckily, thanks to Travis Huckabee, was um, able to reclaim that record with a, a beautiful 37 pounder, but his fly was made with, um, I guess dreads or extensions that you can buy from the wig store. Yep. And it's awesome. They're awesome. Lots of action to them. There was a bunch of chartreuse, like two foot long strands at, uh, big lots the other day for St. Patty's. Oh, no way. And I was like, I'm just, I, I don't need, I mean, I want them. I just don't need them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you go in, you're, you've are you got a, like, you've got a uh, Swiss Army knife in your back pocket and you're like, clip, clip, clip. Oh, no one's going to ever notice this. That's why I used to get my bead chain. You go into like Babies R Us <laughs> and they use large size 10 copper colored to hold up the signs on the furniture. <laughs> it's like, well, you know what? I'll just rubber band the sign on. So I'd like just rubber band they it on. They won't miss a couple of bead chains. Me. No. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, but yeah, with Tailwaters, it's a, it's a great gig. Um, and I love being able to work with them. It's a great shop. They don't send anybody anywhere without really knowing if the tides are right. Um, they're always, you know, as, you know, as my, I guess title says, I'm a lodge scout. They're keeping up with all, all their lodges that they rep. And the guides making sure that the fishery is still good, that the guides are excellent, that they're not sending them some to lodge that five years ago was great, but now is overfished and not any good anymore. And so it's it's hard to stay on top of all of that. And when there's so many lodges a- around the globe, you know, um, but I think it's important to our clients. And if they're going to take off time from work and spend that kind of money to go somewhere, um, you got to make sure it's the best of the best. Absolutely. When I was in Africa in college, traveling through Namibia, there was a woman, I guess that was South Africa. We were eating in a boma, which is like a a naturally walled in dinner enclosure that the animals can't really get through to eat you while you're outside having dinner. Yeah, that's a good thing. And this woman was just, she was scouting lodges across Africa for her travel company and just drinking like Bordeaux and (laughs) eating big steaks and. It's like, damn, you got a good lady. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Can't complain. Can't complain. So other than Able Reels, what brand gear are you using? You know, there are... Anybody helping you out that you want to give shout outs to? Yeah. I mean, that's the beautiful thing is along this this adventure and along the way, so many people have come behind me and are helping me to achieve this this goal of 100 um, records on fly. And so, I mean, I can't say enough great things. Um, Rio lines, Cortland lines, Sage, Hardy, um, G Loomis, uh, Thomas and Thomas. 
as you can see, like the list goes on and it's just incredible. And, you know, I, I think of rods, reels, reels are one thing and you just want your reel to be able to endure anything. And that's salt and fresh. And I really, I believe able create has created a great reel and I'm happy, very thrilled to be on board with them. Rods are like tennis shoes and are running shoes. They're very particular for each individual and, and exactly what you're doing. You know, if you're running right, Harry Potter wands, are, they choose you. They choose you. So we, you don't know Harry Potter references. I, I, a, a little bit, a little bit, but yeah, okay. no, not so much into the sci-fi world, but, uh, but like a running shoe, like depending if you're going to do like sprint triathlons, like I used to do where you're running in a run flat, you know, you're always going to be changing the style of your tennis shoe, but you also got to get something that fits you. Like you say, that wand fit Harry Potter or yes. called him. And so I, I believe in that. And I believe there's a lot of great manufacturers out there. And so it's hard for me to just say one, but all of those guys that I've mentioned have supported me and have um, just been, you know, uh, just, I, I wouldn't be here without them. So um, I like those particular ones that are, um, that have been around for a long time that are trying to really go to the next level. And so I, I, you know, I've gone on with Cortland to kind of help them develop some new lines and with Thomas and Thomas, um, as of recent, I'm really excited to, uh, be helping them with and demoing some of their new stuff that they're coming out with. And I think they're about to blow some minds out there. So I like the ones that are coming up with new, kind of cutting edge and uh, always happy to test out and field test stuff. And that the, the beauty of that is because of the variety of species I'm going and pursuing, I can do it in cold freshwater, warm freshwater, cold saltwater, warm saltwater, big fish, small fish, all the above. And that's, um, I just really enjoy that and giving my feedback. Sounds like you're having a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else? Uh, you want to discuss, tell stories about? Well, you. I got. I have to relieve my father-in-law, who's got my kid upstairs. Have any like crazy, crazy adventures? And yes, there has been crazy adventures. I mean, I think any. I think everyone out there needs to know if you do any adventure travel, be prepared for the word adventure. And I mean, I've had emergency landings in in Alaska on float planes where we've had to land quickly in 60 knot winds. I've um, run out of gas with a guide who thought he had filled up his boat and instead kind of later recalled that he had filled up his truck and forgotten to fill out his boat. And we had run all the way from Gulf Shores um, of Mississippi all the way to the Chandeliers and on our way back, um, trying to beat a kind of white squall back to the mainland. We got caught in that white squall because we ran out of gas. So um, I've been stuck in the Bolivian jungle stranded for an extra five days when waters that sounds like fun to me. rose so much. So you actually ask about my fly time. I don't do a lot on my own, but where I have done a lot is on rainy days with my guides in these remote locations when the rivers have blown out and the ocean is like hurricaning, has hurricane like winds or something like that. When I'm somewhere remote, that's what we do for fun. We have a couple of beverages, we kick back, and we tie flies for the the upcoming beautiful days ahead. That sounds like paradise to me. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. 
So where can we find you on social media, your pottery website, your fishing, Yes, okay. everything else for people to follow you? Perfect. Well, and Rob, one of the things I want to say too is I've just started this brand new site on Facebook and hopefully we'll be following up with a website to continue. But I, I've, over the years, I'm at this age where I have a lot of friends that have kids, I would say from five to 15 years old. And, um, I hear from their parents that they have fun showing their kids my Instagram account or my, uh, Facebook page. And they said, you know, I just, we'd love more information on those fish that you're catching. They're beautiful. We've never seen a golden Dorado, a, a big peacock bass, so forth. Like blobfish. A what? A blobfish, a blobfish. So what I have started to do is I've started a new Facebook page called Mare's Fun Fish Fact. And this is geared towards kids and it's um, geographically locating where I've caught that fish. And then it has the name of the fish, if it's freshwater or saltwater, um, kind of what it eats, where it lives, how to identify it. Of course, it has some of my pictures of that fish. And then it has a fun fact about it, like some silly fun fact or an interesting fact. Um, and then what tackle I caught it on. And then I've started even putting in IGFA for kids, what the current records are, because there's so many achievable records for kids. If the parents were just aware that the largest, let's say, and I'm, I'm going to totally speak out of like probably not large mouth bass for a little girl is probably like two pounds. Well, there are a lot of bigger large mouth bass than two pounds and your daughter might've even caught that four pound fish. If they only knew that that would have been qualified as a world record, they might have saved the leader and sent it in. And that little girl would then have a world record plaque from the IGFA. I think it's really cool, and I'd love to inform more parents um, of these records that their children could be pursuing. So it's kind of fun and educational. That's my new, that's my new thing. And then otherwise, it's just Instagram, Meredith McCord, Facebook, Meredith McCord, and my website's MeredithMcCord.com. Awesome. awesome stuff. Super fun. Yeah, so if you don't make it up to D.C. for uh, Blue Cats, I guess we'll see each other hopefully at ICAST this Absolutely, year. Absolutely, I'll be there. All right. Okay. I'll find you at the Able booth or at Cocktail Hour at Sims again. I will be there, and I think Able Women will be there. So um, absolutely at Cocktail Hour every night. It's a, yeah. it's a blast. I love that. And I love just meeting other people in the industry and just um, – you know, meeting people with that share share this passion for this crazy right, sport right. that have crazy indeed have us pursuing gar on floor. Yeah. <laughs> well, tomorrow we're all my fishing club. We're going to be at a brewery up the street tying flies amongst the brewing tanks. Nice. Yeah. Nice. For pro- all the flies go to Project Healing Waters. Oh, very cool. So it's a tieathon at America's number one small craft brewery. That's super cool. Well, and right now in Houston, I've, I've been attending um, the Houston Fly, uh, sorry, not the Fly Show, Houston Fishing Show. So it's conventional and fly fishing. So um, it's going on all weekend, and um, there's a lot of great booths out there where you can come by and see um, all sorts and demo all sorts of rods and reels and so forth. So that's what's happening here in Houston, Texas. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and your very busy schedule. You're welcome, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Yes. All right. I'll let you know when this is live. Perfect. Sounds great. All right. Okay. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.